0: It's time for another encounter with truth as Dave Wurtzen continues our exposure to Deuteronomy, an Old Testament book we always wanted to understand but could never quite get a handle on what it could possibly mean for us today. Our passage is Deuteronomy 16 and 17 and the subject is Alternative Religions. Let's join Dave as he begins our discussion by sharing how astrology, even infiltrated the highest office of our land. In
1: 1988, the wife of the President of the United States began to control schedules by astrological reports. That's not back in 1400, that's now. In fact, if I would have been preaching to you, even when I first started preaching, astrology was not really that powerful. But as we move through the 60s, during times of great tumult, great changes in culture, astrology down through the centuries has raised its head. And it's the belief that somehow these impersonal forces, these movements of the heavens, control your life. And you'll start to live by the fates of the heavenly body, by the alignment And some of you are probably already doing that. In other words, you get up in the day and say, well, this isn't going to be a good day for me to to really take the initiative in this sale because my astrological sign isn't just right. Or some of you are going to begin to feel like, well, I'm afraid, boy, I'm going to face a lot of sickness because my astrological signs are not right. This relationship with this guy or girl isn't right because my astrologer says that's not a good path. Watch out. Even for curiosity, I want to warn every one of you. Moses says... Stay away. You can't combine the worship of Yahweh with the worship of the Baal and the Asherah. And you cannot combine the worship of Yahweh with the worship of the stars. You say, why not? Because my Father in heaven created the stars. they are marvelous lights and gases, marvelous chemical reactions taking place, but they don't control your destiny. That's why God doesn't want you to worship them. Why are we gathered together here? Why shouldn't we bow before the heavens? Because the heavens declare the glory of God. You see, you don't want to be controlled by astrology. You don't want to be living in that kind of fear and, and letting some kind of an occult uh, teacher get a hold on your life and master your life. You're free. You're free. You have a personal Father in heaven who created it all. And it's all for you to enjoy. And he has your life in his hands and he loves you and he will tenderly take care of you. In fact, if you know him as your Savior, he's going to take care of you forever. That's why you don't read your astrology chart. It's foolishness. My Father in heaven has a plan for my life. This is the day that he has made. I will be glad and rejoice in it. You don't need some weirdo to tell you about the alignment of the angles between different signs of the zodiac. I want to be really strong with you. Don't don't mess with the occult. Two things Moses says. People, you cannot fool around with sexual immorality. It becomes a religion that dominates your life. Watch out for the secret closet of your life where you've erected an Asherah pole, and a Baal pole, when God wants there to be pure devotion to the living God. And watch out for those casual things, those casual moments, when you say, oh, this isn't anything, and you begin to be under the control of the stars. I plea with you, you're the people of God. Don't ever lower yourself to be controlled. The book of Colossians says that we've been set free from the elemental principles of this world. And you become the children, the daughters, the sons and daughters of the living God. And he's given you responsibility. He's given you choice. He's given you total made in his image. And that's why he told you in the Old Testament and the New Testament, no astrology. You've been set free from the elemental spirits. Now, let's look and see. There's no room for the Asherah, no room for the Baal, no room for astrology. I gave you three verses that you can look at a little bit later. First of all, in Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 2, it tells you not to, not to be afraid of the stars, not to be afraid of the signs in the, in the sky. Jeremiah 31, 35 talks about what I've been talking to you about is that in Jeremiah 31, 35, it talks about the Lord God being the creator of the stars, and that's why we can be totally committed to Him. And then I want you to look at one of them, Isaiah 47:13. The reason you never need to be afraid of an astrologer, the reason you should never get involved in their counsel, is they're not even able to save themselves. Isaiah 47, all the counsel that you have received has only worn you out. Let your astrologers come forward, those stargazers who made predictions month by month. Let them save you from what is coming. Surely they are like stubble. They, they are like a fire which will burn them up. They cannot even save themselves from the power of the flame. You see, old Israel didn't listen to God. Old Israel went ahead and did exactly what we've talked against. They did erect a shera beside the altar of the Lord. They did erect a male uh, symbol of Baal before the altar of the Lord. They did get involved with astrology. And as a result, their nation was destroyed. The people were destroyed. And the stargazers were saying, the Babylonians won't come. The Assyrians will not come and destroy us. And God's Old Testament prophets were saying, yes, they will, because of immorality, because of breaking God's commandments, there will be judgment. The stargazer says, no, there isn't. There's there's hope. There's hope in the stars, and the signs look good. Battles were entered into based upon those predictions. And Isaiah and Jeremiah the prophet said, you don't need to be afraid of those stargazers. They don't really know. How did they handle these guys in the Old Testament? The second thing I want you to see is that he told them not only to be aware of astrology, be aware of immorality, I want you to look at another warning that seems to be relatively divorced from what we've been talking about, but it really isn't. Look at the beginning of chapter 17 of Deuteronomy. It says, do not sacrifice to the Lord your God an ox or a sheep that has any defect or flaw in it, for that would be detestable to him. What in the world does that mean? In the Old Testament, one of the normal things that they did in their worship is they would bring animals to the Lord. Before the Lord Jesus came, the sacrifices looked forward to them. We study that in the book of Hebrews. Under the Old Testament law, they needed to bring a perfect lamb, a perfect bull, a perfect goat. They couldn't bring one that was blind. They couldn't bring one that was lame. Why couldn't they do that? The book of Malachi, chapter 1, talks about a time when the people were doing exactly that. And the passage begins like this. Don't you honor a father? Don't you honor a king? Don't you honor the ruler of your people? And then the Lord God says, well, you haven't honored me as a father. You haven't honored me as your king. And the people kind of have been retorting to him, say, in a rhetorical question. They say, how, how have we not honored you? And God says this, because you brought all the things that you were just getting ready to throw away, the castaways. And God says, I'm not going to accept that. Now, is that because God needs sheep to eat or he needs good bulls to eat? No, that's not true at all. But you see, we tell the devotion of our heart by the gifts that we bring. For example, if a guy falls in love with a girl... And he goes to that romantic moment and they develop their relationship. And he comes to that time, will you marry me? And she says, yes. He reaches into his pocket and he takes out a great big plastic Walmart special. I need to be careful about that because I used that a few weeks ago and somebody said they got, they sell some pretty good engagement rings at Walmart. So <laughs> we need to be careful about that. You know what I'm talking about though? That's not going to go over too well. Or if your if your mom and dad are having their fiftieth wedding anniversary, and you bring out you know you think about the last minute you rummage through find some old magazines that you were getting ready to throw away, maybe some old car magazines. You know your dad likes cars, so you take out some of these old car magazines that you were getting ready to throw away, and you give that to your dad. And says, Dad, I just wanted to tell you how much I love you on your twenty-fifth anniversary. That's not going to work. Why not? Because you haven't thought about it? It didn't cost you anything? It doesn't mean anything. I've run into that buzzsaw several times in giving gifts to Mary. That's not one of my real strong points through the year. What makes that bad? I don't honor her when I don't really pay attention. And Moses told God's Old Testament people, he said this, Don't bring to the Lord your throwaways you'd say, well, Dave, this is really hard for me to make any connections because we don't bring animals for sacrifice. Well, our college students in Campus Crusade Conference this week, their last message talked about a sacrifice that the Lord wants to bring. Paul said this, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice. As I was thinking about that, you know what's something that really hit me? Under the Old Testament law, I couldn't be a sacrifice to the Lord. You say, why not? Because there's blemishes right there. I can't see 2020 exactly the way I used to, so I'm blemished a little bit. I thought about it when I went to seminary. one One of my friends sat next to me in almost all my classes was blind, so he couldn't come couldn't be a sacrifice to the Lord, couldn't be a living sacrifice under the Old Testament law. Down through the years, Mary worked with a girl that was blind at Houghton. She couldn't have come either. I thought of some of my friends that were lame. One of my best friends got polio when I was just a little kid. And so we spent our time, you know, him clumping around with a leg that had gone bum. He was lame so he couldn't come because he was maimed. Under the Old Testament law, you couldn't bring any marred, defective sacrifice. But then Jesus came. You ever thought about what Jesus did? What did Jesus do when he came upon a lame person? He's the one that introduced the kingdom of God. He's the one that introduced nearness to God. And the ultimate sacrifice was the one that touched a lame man's legs and they could walk. He touched a blind man's eyes and they could see. Under the Old Testament law, it said if you were a eunuch that you could never enter into the people of God, you are maimed, you are marred. But you know what? The Old Testament prophets predicted there would be a day when everyone would come in. Even the eunuchs and those that were marred, the blind, the lame, it talked about a new day when everybody could come. You know why? Because we've met the ultimate sacrifice. He was totally unmarred, totally unblemished, totally pure and he sacrificed himself for us and then he comes to every one of our lives with healing in his hands and he heals, ultimately he's going to heal all the blemishes sin blemishes, physical blemishes, life blemishes he's the ultimate messiah that when he touches us we all become acceptable sacrifices that's why Paul beseeches present your body a living sacrifice. God is pleased with your body. He welcomes it into his family and he says, put it on the altar of devotion to me. Let me use your eyes. Let me use your ears. Let me use your hands. Let me use your feet. And that all ties into where we started. You see, what messes me up sexually is when I start to use my eyes, instead of looking at what God has given to me, which God designed and knew and when Mary and I made those decisions so many years ago, how could I have known all that life would bring? It was impossible. But God knew. And she's my gift. She's the gift that God gave for me. So my hands and my body, they're for her. Asherah takes you away from all that. Does the same thing to you, girl, that works a little bit more subtly. You know, the, the older guy that's real sensitive and listens and maybe exotic, maybe from another country or something, and kind of mysterious. And he treats you like a woman when you've been slugging away in your marriage for about 15 years, and your husband doesn't, you can put on the most beautiful dress, and he never even says a word. But there's another guy he always notices, always says, always there to talk, always there to drink a cup of coffee. And the little parts deep in your soul begin to be pulled. That's a shira and Baal. Watch out. And deal with it ruthlessly in your heart. And run back to the pure, pure devotions that God has given to you. That's what God is saying. The stars begin to pull you. You begin to wonder, maybe there isn't a personal God in the heaven. Run back. And as you do, bring your good gifts. Bring your body. The scripture also talks about our, our singing as being a sacrifice. Another thing we can do is our giving. I want you and and myself included, it needs to be an act of worship that we take right off the top and tell God we love you. We don't just give you our throwaways, but out of our material blessing, the way that you provided for us this week, we want to tell you that we love you. That's another way to tell the Lord that we love him. You don't want to give, you know, just because, oh man, we want to be sure that we get the debt paid off. That's important, but don't give just for that. I want you to begin to think, from the smallest child to the oldest adult, you need to begin to think, as I gather together for worship, the Apostle Paul taught the Corinthians, consider carefully as you gather together what you're going to set aside for the Lord that week. It's been a very important discipline for me throughout the years as I'm paying out all the bills to pray and ask the Lord, Lord, what do you want me to give? So many of you have been motivated by guilt and and someone's always trying to reach into your pocket religiously that we've tried to really stay away from it. But I want to just teach you as your pastor, don't let the charlatans rob you of the tremendous thrill of knowing I gave money because I worked this week and I can walk in this auditorium on a Wednesday night and see hundreds of kids and I made it possible with my gifts. Praise be to God. I want you guys and girls out there in business to be saying, Lord, you need to explode what I'm doing. Because there's so many things we need to do for your kingdom on planet Earth. That's how you've gifted me. And I want you to be excited about that. And I want want little children to realize if I get an allowance of $5, I can take right off the top. I want to honor the Lord with some of that $5. And we need to train them from the time they're small. We've taken away the joy of careful, systematic, giving. And we need to recapture that. Not for our church's good, but for your good. Because the Lord says, I don't want you to bring just your throwaways. Don't come into a church service and someone says, hey, you ought to give to this and dig down. Well, do I have any chains in here? Don't do that. You need to get serious about it. You need to look over your finances and say, how can I honor the Lord and celebrate his love for me by what I give? God's Old Testament people really hurt God When they just gave them their marred and defective gifts. We're not marred and defective anymore because we've been healed by the Savior. You're a living sacrifice. Part of it begins with what are you going to do with the first fruits of your substance? What did they do to people that didn't follow what we talked about? They were pretty rough on them. Look what it says here. It says, if a man or woman, in verse two of chapter 17, among you in one of the towns of the Lord gives you is found doing evil in the eyes of the Lord your God and violating His covenant, worshiping the Asherah, worshiping the Baal, bringing marred image, uh, marred sacrifices, was covenant breaking. It was treachery, contrary to what I've commanded you. They've worshipped the other gods, bowing down to the sun and the moon and the stars of the sky. And this has been brought to your attention. Then you must investigate it thoroughly. I want you to understand that the Old Testament wasn't some kind of a lame-brain witch hunt. And we need to be very, very careful about the way we evaluate one another's lives. Under the Old Testament, you didn't just say, hey, did you know that someone's having an affair? Don't you ever say that someone's having an affair unless you have at least two witnesses that can verify. That'll kill a family. It kills relationships. Sometimes it wounds somebody right in a vulnerable area where they're really struggling. Under the Old Testament, when people are wandering, it had to be investigated very, very carefully. But I also want you to see they investigated it. In American society, that now, now we're so far away from one another that some of our very best friends can wander right into the worship of Asherah and Baal, and we feel like, You know, what do I have to do? I mean, that's just the way life is. So we need to be very careful that we don't gossip, that we don't slander. But when you know, when you know for sure, you need to investigate carefully, and then you need to go. Under the Old Testament law, it was like an act of treason. Look what they did. It says this needed to be investigated thoroughly if it is true, and it has been proved that this detestable thing had been done in Israel, take the man or woman who has done this evil deed to your city gate and stone that person to death. On the testimony of two or three witnesses, a man shall be put to death, but no one shall be put to death on the testimony of only one witness. The hand of the witnesses must be the first in putting him to death, and then the hand of all the people. You must purge the evil from among you. Totally different from our culture today. We've made everything impersonal when it comes to punishment. You ever notice like some of the crimes that have been done, most of you are able to forget them. Most crimes that are committed in our town and in our area, be honest, I'm honest with myself, if it's not that close to me, I just want to forget it. You see, in our modern system, we put it away somewhere. You know why? Because then we can deal with it more impersonally. And more and more the culture moves towards impersonalization. And just put them away, just get them away. God says, no. You need to deal with things straightforwardly and personally. And you are involved. And there was great care under the Old Testament system about protecting the innocent. There was great care about careful investigation. But God didn't let his Old Testament people just put the responsibility off on someone else. Under the Old Testament law, because it was a theocracy, and to break the covenant was like an act of treason. For example, it would be like committing espionage against the United States of America. That's what it was like to break the covenant under Old Testament law, which explains why there was capital punishment. I also want you to realize that there's not many instances in the Old Testament where God instituted this stoning. God let his people, because he's a gracious and merciful God, God let his people erect the columns and erect the bales. He let them worship the stars. In fact, he dealt with them very gently and very lovingly, just like he will with you. But I want you to know that two parts of Israel, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom died because they didn't listen. As we close this morning, 2 Corinthians chapter 6 has these words. It says, come out from among them. You are the people of God. Come out from among them. What fellowship does light have with darkness? What fellowship does those that are devoted to the kingdom of God have with those that are devoted to the kingdom of darkness. It says, can two agree? How can two walk together unless they be agreed? Don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. What is all that passage in 2 Corinthians talking about? The Corinthians were messing around in the idolatrous systems of Corinth. They were coming to church on Sundays. They were studying about the Lord Jesus. They knew him. But when the prostitutes came down off the Acropolis of Corinth, the believers were going to bed with them just like the rest of the population. According to 1 Corinthians 5, one of the believers right in the church was sleeping with his own stepmother. And the church felt they were really avant-garde. You know, this is the new morality, only this was back in the first century. And we've all found grace so we can tolerate all things. And Paul says, no. Grace delivers you to be pure. Grace makes you free to turn away and to become totally devoted to love and purity and faithfulness and trustworthiness and dependability. And Paul tells his, tells his New Testament people, and he tells us today, it's a tremendous conflict that goes on between the kingdom of immorality, the kingdom of astrology, and the kingdom of the moral God of Mount Sinai, who eventually revealed himself in the pure, holy example, Jesus Christ. And you're going to have to decide. And I ask you to join with me. I ask you to think as we begin this new year. What are the Asherahs in my life? What are the Baals in my life? What's some of the... What's some of the allure that I've had in astrology? Are there some things that are happening right now that are moving me into those scenes? And I want you to make Jesus Christ and devotion to Him the absolute center and the core, and He alone as the ruler of your life. The God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament. And because He is the true God, He says there's no place in your temple, in your heart, because you've now become the temple. There's no place in your heart for the living God to live and dwell and have alongside it any Asherahs, any Baals, any worship of the stars. Your heart needs to be singular and wholly devoted to Him. And I plead with you to do that because He's the one that's really there, the one that loves you and cares for you, And we'll bring you the greatest joys, not only in this life, but forevermore.
0: For more information on materials available through Truth Encounter, please write to us at Truth Encounter, Box 580, Midlothian, Texas, 76065. Or you can contact us on the web at www.truthencounter.com. Be sure to register to receive Dave's Daily Devotional on our website or check us out on Facebook.